Thank you, Jennifer. My name is Roberta Fallon. I run the Art Blog. I'm the editor of the Art Blog, which is an online publication you may or may not be aware of in Philadelphia. Hyper-local. We love Philly art and artists. So we were invited to do a podcast recording um, of the panel discussion today. So we are recording. This will be um, broadcast on Art Blog in a couple of days as soon as the editor of our video and audio recording comes back from vacation and can edit it. So you can look forward to that uh, for your memory also and to listen again. And I want to introduce the panel members. You probably know most or some of them. To my right, your left, is Jennifer's Willing. Jennifer is the Curator of Artistic Programs at the Clay Studio, previously Assistant Curator of American Decorative Arts at the Philly Museum of Art, and a teacher who developed a class on the history of modern and contemporary craft and design for Tyler School of Art. Thank you, Jennifer. To my left, your right, is Hiromi Kinoshita the Hannah L. and J. Wells Henderson Curator of Chinese Art at the Philly Museum of Art. She was appointed in 2012 and previously was a curator at the MFA Boston, consulting curator at the High Museum in Atlanta, curator at the British Museum, Doctor of Philosophy, thesis on hybrid burial practices of the Liao Kitan elite from the 10th and 12th centuries in Northeast China, which I love. And we were not going to get into that today, but that's another, that's another podcast. And Joshua Hebert, artist in residence at the Clay Studio, BFA from Creighton University, MFA from the University of Colorado, Boulder, worked for cultural craft institutions like the Watershed Center for Ceramic Arts and the Museum of Contemporary Craft, among many others. So thank you all for putting up with me as your uh, interrogator here. And what we are talking about primarily is the Storage to Studio project, the Clay Studio Resident Artists Explore the Philadelphia Museum of Art Collection, which is on view now in the beautiful galleries to the right of me, and will be there until November 17th. So lots of time to look. Very important show. I would urge you to come back if you've seen it already. Do it a second time. Um, it's a very special project, and I want to say... Jennifer, I'm going to go to you first. On the Clay Studios website, you describe the project as a rare venture. So can you explain a little how it is a rare venture, how it came about, since I believe you may be the instigator of it? <laughs> and um, talk about this as a collaboration between the Clay Studio and the museum. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I just heard that we should speak up because the people in the back were having trouble hearing. The um, microphones are only for the recording, so there isn't any amplification. Um, thank you so much, Roberta, for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. It is, it is a rare venture, and we feel so lucky that the Art Museum and the curators were um, so gracious to allow us to come and do the project. It's really um, a coming together of a few different issues. 
One is, as you said, I used to work at the museum, so I keep using the term social capital. So I've used all of my social capital, I don't think there's any left, <laughs> um, with my friends and colleagues at the museum. I've been here at the Clay Studio for four and a half years, and I, from the beginning, with the residents, I just, from the first moment I walked in the door here, I thought, wow, it would be so great to bring them to storage at the museum because it's a place where for 15 years I got to go there practically whenever I wanted to, which is a really special thing that most people don't get to experience. Um, and for an artist, I feel like I, I had the idea that that was going to be really important. So that was in the back of my mind. Um, and then a couple of years ago, we learned that the American Craft Council would be having their conference here in um, October of this year. And because of the wonderful project that's going on at the museum, the construction, I'm sure you've all heard that the new um, public entrance just opened this week. Well, because of the construction, there really isn't a lot of space or room to um, create new exhibitions. So there is really no American contemporary craft on view for these people who are coming in from around the country to the um, American Craft Council Conference. So the, the museum, specifically Elizabeth Agro, who's a friend and colleague um, and a mentor of mine, was, um, you know, really felt that it was important to make sure that the art museum had some of its work on view or did, was doing a project so that the um, Craft Council attendees would, would be able to see that. Um, so it was those kinds of ideas um, and then just really me bucking up my courage and asking my friends to, to help and did they have time and could we make this happen and just everyone was so generous and gracious to um, make time and um, you know fly the flag up the, the flagpole that's probably the wrong metaphor but basically ask <laughs> Timothy Rubb if we could have these things on view because usually the um, Objects from the art museum would not be on view in the galleries here at the Clay Studio, as lovely as they are. Um, so, yeah, there were, it, it was um, many things, including mostly just everyone being very nice to help us. Yeah, is that a good way to answer that? Yes, nice. The city of brotherly and sisterly niceness. That's where we are. No, I'm very excited about this collaboration between a museum and a non-museum because that seems to be altogether new um, in my experience, although it may not be. Would you like to speak to that a little bit? Oh, I, I, I feel a lot of pressure. That oh, the museum. <laughs> I do spy some of my colleagues here, so um, perhaps... Uh, and I, I'd like to add that I am just one of... I think there were seven of us, seven curators... Um, so um, I, I spied David, who is sitting in the audience, and he was also part, part of this. Um, but it really was a wonderful collaboration, and I really have to give a lot of credit to Jen um, for going for it, is really, I think, what it was, um, to go in and ask. And I got sort of pulled in, thanks again, it, uh, I think you reached out to Elizabeth first, and then it sort of spread out through there. Um, this is my first venture into uh, contemporary craft, so it has been a really interesting and um, wonderful experience to be able to um, be part of this uh, project. Um, but back to your question about museums um, and working with the craft, um, the, the clay, clay studio. Um, I believe that there had always been collaborations, right? Um, in probably not such a formal way in terms of having objects here 
perhaps not, right? And yeah, there, um, there has been a relationship, and in fact, uh, the Clay Studio did an intervention, helped instigate an intervention project that happened at the Art Museum um, in 2010. But once the idea was formed, it was really the, the museum curators. But that was allowing contemporary artists to come in and um, do work with right in the galleries in the period room. So you're right, there has been um, really lovely collaboration. And Felice Fisher yes, helped us do right. a Japanese show that yes. was um, maybe about 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. So there is a, um, a friendly relationship, a, but for sure having work here yes, is the first is time. The first time. <laughs> okay, that's really a groundbreaker then. Um, let's talk about the audience. We have a great audience here. Um, I would imagine these are many people who love ceramics and crafts. Show of hands? Yes? I think so. I think so. So, <laughs> let's talk about the crossover audience between the Clay Studio and the PMA. Do you want to address that a little bit? I would think that that might have been something that was considered as a potential, like audience expansion mm -hmm. for you and for the museum of new audiences. Do you want to go first? I feel like I'm talking a lot. No. <laughs> this is your show. Um, Just don't let me talk. Go ahead. Talk. Well, the, I titled my essay for the book Reflexive Relevance, and that was actually what I wanted to call the whole show, but most people looked at me like, what does that mean? Um, because I like the idea of um, contemporary, people interested in contemporary art and craft seeing the value of historical art and vice versa. So to me, not only is it reflexive for the curators and the artists who are audiences as well, right? Sometimes we forget that we are audiences also. But just that someone who might normally go and look at a beautiful Chinese garden seat and the art museum might now be able to appreciate contemporary art, whereas they might have looked at um, Yaram Lee's piece out of that context without the Chinese garden seat next to it and thought, I don't understand this. I can't relate to it. But once they see that the the artist is looking at the the historical art and that's something that they love. Maybe they can start to see that crossover and then vice versa. I think a lot of maybe people interested in contemporary art don't take the time to look look back at the historical art and kind of remember what is so important about um, continuing that interest. And here in Philadelphia, you know, we often say we're we're sort of um, the fabric of our city is historical art that is and continues to inspire contemporary artists. And that's why I think it's really special that we're doing it here. You said it's a city of brotherly love, but it's a city that's been um, imbued with craft since the, well, since long before the 18th century, but at least the Europeans were doing it in the 18th century and, and beyond. Yeah, I do love that point that they're together. You can see the contemporary and the historical in the same venue without saying, oh, well, that was based on that, so i got to go up there and see that now. So it's a lovely mixing together of the pieces. And then to see how they differ, the contemporary, from how the artist got inspired not to just copy it, but to take it somewhere else. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Hiromi, can you talk about your um, participation in the project? It seems like um, you worked with artists pretty deeply when you were in storage. Everybody knows that the resident artists went to storage at the Philly Museum of Art, is that right? Yeah. 
um, two, with curators, seven curators, and there were 14 artists, and Jennifer, and you, how did that work exactly? Um, it was actually a logistical feat that we could actually find a time, um, because seven curators, three separate departments, um, three separate, or even more probably, um, storage facilities, which are within the vast PMA, um, just getting people to and from. Um, the artists were asked to choose things from our database beforehand. So that was helpful because then we could find it, think about it, source it, um, do a bit of research. Um, in my case, for objects that I hadn't really looked at that carefully either. So it was, it was a good exercise for me as well. Um, and then we invited them into storage and, uh, 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 for instance, in my department, I'm part of the East Asian department and there were three of us, um, uh, Felice, who's the Japanese curator, Kunsu, who's the Korean curator, and then myself, who are the Chinese curator, and then we, we um, uh, uh, showed our certain pieces to the artists who were interested in them. And it was just really fascinating to see their reaction. Um, it, it, it makes you so, so, sort of uh, surprised how you have your own preconceptions and ideas of how something looks, and it looks so ordinary. And um, I was just really interested in, in seeing and hearing why the artist chose these objects, because they, because from my understanding, I've studied these objects for so long. And you know, you put value on certain things because of their um, their historical importance or other reasons. Whereas I think, from the artist's point of view, a lot of it could just be really about visual or something personal, um, something that they've they've longed to handle or see for all these years. So it was just really interesting and wonderful just to get that personal side of it and how they reacted to it. They were so excited. Oh my goodness! Finally, I've dreamed of uh, you know seeing this type of wear, or even just the surprise of, oh, I didn't think it was so small, you know, which actually happens to a lot of us. I, I think when you see something in a picture, and then you actually see the real object, you know, it's either much bigger than you imagined, or it's much smaller, or you know that. So yeah, it was just fun. It was fun. Yeah. Um... Were there any particular anecdotes about someone who found something that was just a surprise, and it was a surprise to you too, or it wasn't a surprise, or anything that stands out? Any eureka moment by any artist? Well, Nathan, his enthusiasm for the Shula pottery was just very moving, <laughs> because he, 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 he really was saying, oh, you know, I... I, I, I traveled to to, uh, to 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 the uh, to, to the east, and I really wanted to, to to work with this sort of material and his enthusiasm about uh, about the firing process and everything. It was just wonderful because you know I I deal with traditional art. My thesis was on 10th century um, uh, tomb burials, so to actually have interaction with real living artists is actually also very novel. For me. <laughs> Would you do it again? Yes, yes, definitely. Great. So, and um, where are these storage facilities? You said there are three of them. You're not allowed to say. You're not allowed to say. Oh no! They're 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 hidden within the museum, between the floors, the different floors, either in basement 
or mezzanine level, sort of between between the gallery spaces. Yes. Very interesting. And they're offsite as well, but in yeah, I'd case, heard about the offsite. Yes. yes. But, um, but no, they they are within the museum. Okay. Now we know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I guess we've sort of dipped into this, but the project seems to be at its base about discovery, right? You're going into storage, you're looking for things. I mean, you looked online first and you've selected a few things, but it's about the discovery that you have when maybe you select something online and then you see something in storage that's different, that strikes you, or can you talk a little bit about the discovery? Maybe, I guess you mentioned your excitement at Nathan's mm. discovery of the pieces. Was there something else you want to say about your discoveries? Um, working I, with living artists, for example? I, I, it, it, it sort of, maybe not a discovery, but to Jennifer's point about doing this whole exhibition um, is the idea that um, you know traditional and contemporary today can still you know has this dialogue going on, which is um, great. That, that's that's something I think that that uh, uh, curators were thinking more about now as well. And for, for for my collection, the Chinese collection, it's a very traditional collection, and so um, having uh, traditional works. Um, come here and be shown with contemporary pieces, and to be able to have this dialogue is 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 a discovery in itself. Yeah. Was there anything surprising to you <coughs> made from things in your collection, your particular East Asian the, collection? Uh, two pieces, yes, with the with the um, that, that 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 jade box, um, which is yes quite fabulous um, again surprise because to me you know jade is such a classical Chinese material and then to translate that into something that's more ceramic and then um, yeah it was just it, it was fun that the that, that the idea of um, ablutions was was so striking you know um, whereas for me, it was really about the form and the, the, the value of, of jade itself. So again, just being able to make the comparisons and the cultural differences is also really interesting. And then seeing how the, um, the, the, the garden seat was transformed into something quite wonderful with, with the glazes. Gosh, that, that very, yes, amazing glaze was beautiful. Yeah. I agree with all that. Run in and see these works. They're amazing. Um, Joshua, let's talk about your participation in the project. You, were, you are a resident artist, and you were one of the 14 that went into storage and looked online. So you selected a 20th century memory jug made by an unknown, unknown American artist, and it's Tiny. I had an aha moment when I saw how small it was after seeing a photo of it, and it, I thought it was large. It's really quite small. Um, talk about this object. Did you find it in your database search online? Did you find it when you were in storage? Talk about yeah. that a little. Yeah, so I hadn't ever, and I think most people haven't heard of the memory jar. They're, um, they're jars um, that uh, are just like 
it looks like they rolled around in my great grandmother's junk drawer. They're like just all of these random things put on it, um, like seashells and mirrors. And the one piece um, online that really struck me was this jar that had all of this amalgamation of things, and it had like two, like little doorknobs for the handles. And I thought that that just that transformation of this this everyday item onto this everyday item just like transformed the way these objects performed as a thing. Um, so I was really, I didn't know if that's really what I wanted to deal with uh, for the piece, um, for the show, but um, I was actually kind of not expecting to really want to work with that object for some reason. It seemed like maybe just like a little too kitschy. Um, but then when I saw that one, uh, there was another one, the one that um, was loaned, uh, that was in the space, and it just like, it was, it's just a very powerful piece. Um, so uh, the memory jugs um, were thought to be gravestones for um, unmarked graves um, in um, poor rural communities in the South. And so um, just as something about the power of like, taking all of these trinkets from someone's life and putting them on this jug and having that jug be like the commemorative object of their lives. Um, I just thought that there was something so beautiful about it. And then uh, the piece uh, in the show, um, it uh, feels really violent. Um, it has a lot of like sharp edges and it's like, trying to navigate how to pick that up was like a really funny uh, moment, interesting experience. Um, trying not to break off like one of the chicken wing bones um, on it. Um, and so it actually immediately reminded me of Nkozi and Kondai, which are um, spiritual objects that are hammered into in the Congo. Um, so kind of that violence and that um, just that power. It looked like it was an object with power. And so uh, we had gone originally to the storage, uh, yeah, like almost a year ago. So um, the uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford um, had just testified for Brett Kavanaugh's uh, Supreme Court um, appointment. And so um, in her testify, Testimony. Um, she said, "Indelible in the memory is the hippocampus, or indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter, um, the laughter of uh, Kavanaugh um, and um, the other one." Um, and so, so that moment culturally, um, I think, was very heavy collectively, um, and I think a lot of people. It was very present um, in me and in my mind, and um, it was weighing a lot on me. And so then going and seeing this mug, this jug that was all about memory um, and also had this like violence in it, it just, it just clicked. Um, and I got back into my studio and I made um, the first piece before I even knew that I was allowed to take that object. So um, I, I like knew right away that that's what I wanted to take. Um, and Jennifer was like, well, 
like, what's your option two? What's... <laughs> um, and I can't remember what my option two was, <laughs> thankfully. Um, yeah, very, very thankfully. So, uh, yeah. Wonderful. And um, so the you should explain that the language from Christine Ford is on your jug. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, so on one of the jugs, I wrote indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter. And then for the rest of the piece, I just uh, wrote ha, 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 ha um, with my knife and with uh, a couple of different tools. Um, and that action itself was really good. It just really, um, it, it was just really cathartic. So... Um, and I don't know, I feel like it has some of that feeling to it. So thankfully, um, that object holds the feeling and I don't have to hold on to all of those feelings. Um, so it was cathartic for you to go and make this piece. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I don't, I guess more recently my work has become more personal and cathartic, but for a long time I didn't make, I didn't make work that was personal. Um, but now, um, it's just so much more interesting for me to make personal work now. So, yeah. Well, um, you title it Memory Jar Number One, mm -hmm. which presupposes there might be a number two. There is another, a number two. Um, and I think that uh, even if it's not this memory, um, I think that it's better to leave the door open. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. I would like, would you go back to the vaults again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's an easy one. Yeah. yeah, it was, um, I mean, I think that Jennifer, um, had to ask a lot of people, but I think for the artists, it was like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. When can we go? Like, can we go tomorrow? So, um, yeah, it was really great. So. Cool. Great. So um, we're going to wrap it up here soon. So the final question I want to ask is, let's talk about the money. <laughs> Funding for the project, I think it's fair to ask, how did that work? Um, you guys are busy here doing what you do. You're very busy at the museum doing what you do. This was something brand new, basically, that you hadn't done before. So... Did you both give a little money to a pot, and then it worked that How did it work? Well, again, um, a lot of generosity. So we, um, more than a year ago, probably almost two years ago, we started writing grants for the project, and we actually were lucky enough to get three grants. One was for the from the Center for American Art, which is at the Art Museum, part of the American Art Department. They were nice enough to fund our new pedestals, because you can't, we, we could never have borrowed these objects if we didn't have locking um, plexi vitrines to go over um, the pieces. So that was essential. Um, and then the Center for Craft gave us money to help us um, create the book. And another small institution in Connecticut gave us um, some more money to support the re basically the research part of it. So I was able to invite each of the artists to write a short essay with their piece for the book, and I could pay them for that from the Center for Craft. 
three of the um, two of the curators wrote essays, and I was able to to compensate them for that. So, you know, you go to the granting organization that can do for you what you need, um, and sometimes it's research, and sometimes it's bricks and mortar. And then the art museum was nice enough to waive all of the loan fees, which would have cost something like another five thousand dollars that we didn't have. Um, <laughs> So that was really kind, and um, yeah, we are we have general operating support from all kinds of places like William Penn and um, Foundation and others. And um, I have an amazing boss, Jennifer Martin, who was willing to let me carve out time from you know kind of the the regular amount of time that we spend on exhibitions to make this one that was really special. So. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for explaining. Yes, what would we do without the funders? So thank you, funders. That wraps up our panel discussion. I want to thank you, Joshua, Hiromi, and Jennifer, so very much. This is an Art Blog radio podcast, and you can listen to it on Art Blog next week sometime. Thank you so much for being in the audience. You've been wonderful. And thank you, Roberta. Thank you.